Thank you, band. You're awesome. Love you lots. Oh, man, I'm so pumped to uh, bring this word this morning. It's been, um, you know, I've been working on it for a while, and it's been a bit of a battle just to get it all together. So um, I know God's going to speak to you here this morning. But, um, yeah, during the week, I was asking God, you know, just to, to give me a word for Silverwater. And he, he gave me that scripture in Psalm, uh, I think it's 37. And it says, I was once young, but now I am old. And not once have I seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging bread. And I love that scripture. It's such a great scripture. But I thought, oh, you know, God's got a sense of humor as well because I turned 30 yesterday. And I think it was just God, you know, taking a swipe at me, calling me an old man. But what a great scripture that is. That David, who wrote this psalm, said, he was once young and now he's old, but not once. Has he seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging bread? And if there's one message that Jesus wants to send to you and to send to humanity, is that because of what he did on the cross, you are righteous. You are righteous in Christ. And so that promise, you know, Old Testament, you had to earn your righteousness. You had to work for your righteousness. Your righteousness was based on your works and everyone fell short. But thanks to Jesus and the work of the cross, you are righteous. Righteousness is imputed to you because of Jesus. You don't have to do anything. He died on the cross for you. And for that reason, you are righteous. So because of that righteousness that we have this morning, we can claim things. We can claim freedom. We can claim prosperity. We can claim a miracle. We can claim healing. Whatever it is, we can claim it because of that righteousness. Amen. So that was the word I got for us for this morning, that we are righteous and we need to know that and we need to believe that, that we are righteous because everything flows from that. Um, I uh, also, yeah, so I turned 30 yesterday. Um, I got some other good news. Uh, So it was my birthday and um, I got the best present in the whole world. I asked the girl of my dreams to marry me, and she said yes. So why don't you stand up, Rose? So we are engaged. Awesome. And I know you're desperate to know how it happened, so I'll fill you in real quick. Um, So it was my birthday, and Rose is really clever, she's really cluey, um, and nothing gets past her, so... I've always wondered, how am I going to do this? How am I going to propose to her without her suspecting it? And uh, it's really difficult with her because she's so clever and she's so cluey. And every time I said, hey, let's go out for dinner, she'll say, why, are you going to propose? <laughs> and I'm like, how am I going to do this? So I thought the only time she probably won't suspect it is in, on my birthday if uh, she takes me out for dinner. Um, so... So, you know, got Leon and Fish to... Um, you know, Rose had organized a dinner last night at House of Crabs because she knows I love crabs and it was just a great dinner. Um, go there, you'll love it. Singaporean chili crab, you know, eat your heart out. It's awesome. But Leon and Fish contacted her and said, hey, um, we've got a cake uh, for Dory and we just want to surprise him with it. So let us know where you are having dinner and we'll just drop it off. And uh, that's what they did. And Rose thought she was organizing a surprise for me. 
Anyway, the cake came out, and I was pretending like, oh, what is this? Who organized this? What a massive cake. Like, who would do this? And I'm pretending to be shocked by this. <laughs> and um, anyway, this cake comes out, and it says, happy birthday, Dorian. And um, I then, you know, there were sparklers on it. I'm like, oh, cool. But then I just lift up the cake, and underneath it is another cake, which says, marry me, and the ring was in that. <laughs> so... Um, she said yes, but there, was, there were a couple of expletives before that, um, but the answer was yes. So um, I'm so thankful to God for, uh, for Rose, because she's just amazing, and um, yeah, I just feel so blessed. So um, let's give it up for Rose, because she's amazing. Um, so we're in this series, Psalm 23, as um, Pastor Mick said. And um, we're, we've been doing it for a few weeks now, and it's an eight-week series. And um, why don't we turn there right now, Psalm 23, and I'll read from the beginning and, and um, get to what we're covering this week. It says, The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. And this is what we're covering this week. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. I think that's probably one of the most popular scriptures. Even you know, people who aren't in church know that one because it's been covered by um, popular music and, and so many different forms of media. Uh, and people rap about it, and people make memes about it, and it's hilarious. But even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Fear. Massive. Massive in our world today. Massive. I see it in, in, in youth, young people who um, are fine and all of a sudden they're, they're struggling with this fear thing and anxiety's coming on them. And young people who are fine, one second, all of a sudden, just getting afraid about life and afraid about stuff and as they grow, they get exposed to more stuff and it drives fear into their hearts. But I'm so thankful that we've got a God who says, you do not have to be afraid. You do not have to be afraid. Though you might be looking at a valley and though the shadow of death may be over it, you do not need to be afraid. You do not need to be afraid. Who here has a um, smoke alarm at home? Yeah, most people do. You should because uh, it's illegal not to. And uh, ever since 2006. But um, have you ever been in that situation where, you know, you're, you're at home cooking and... John, get off your iPad, set the table. John, I said, get off your iPad, set the table. John, I said, get off the iPad and set the table. Who's ever experienced that? 
It's annoying, isn't it? It's seriously one of the most annoying things. It's distracting, it's annoying, it steals your attention and your focus, it's overbearing, it's loud, it stops you in your tracks, you're doing something, it's purposeful, and all of a sudden it takes your attention off that, and it makes you attend to this alarm, and there is no fire, but it's going to cause a fire because you've stopped watching the cooking, and now you're, you're attending to the alarm. It robs you of your joy. How frustrated do you get? It makes you do ridiculous things with tea towels and trays and books and whatever else you can get your hands on. And it can be a challenge to silence it. It can be really difficult just to get it to stop. But today, I don't want to talk about smoke alarms. I want to talk about the alarm that's in our hearts. The alarm that's in our hearts. That alarm called fear. And I know you know what it feels like. You know that tightening up in your chest or that tightening up in your throat or maybe it's that knot in your stomach that alarm known as fear and like a smoke alarm it goes off and it's annoying and it's distracting and it you're doing something purposeful and it distracts you from that and you have to stop and and focus on the alarm and it's loud and it's overbearing. It stops you in your tracks. It robs you of your joy. It makes you do ridiculous things. And it can also be a challenge to silence it. It can also be a challenge to silence that fear. Charles Stanley says this, he says, fear stifles our thinking and actions. It creates indecisiveness that results in stagnation. I've known talented people who procrastinate indefinitely rather than risk failure. Lost opportunities cause erosion of confidence and the downward spiral begins. Fear always precedes a downward spiral because there are things God's called you to. There are things God's called me to. And if we let that alarm and that alarm in our hearts dictate what we do, what we're focusing on, what we're putting our attention on, then we are in a downward spiral and we're not fulfilling that call that's on our lives. I remember a couple of stories when I was a kid, uh, when I was most afraid. There was this one time in year three, right, year three, and I went to school uh, in class at um, Sacred Heart Villawood, that's where I went to primary school, and... Um, we had these issues in, in secure, with security at the school, and people would break in and um, urinate on the carpets in our classroom, and so the, this, the rooms would just absolutely stink. And after a while, they got the police in to um, investigate, and I remember getting to school one day, and um, I was just looking up, um, because at the top of this ladder was this policeman in his blue overalls, and he was dusting for fingerprints on the window of the classroom. And um, I'm just there looking at him, like, amazed, because, you know, policemen are awesome when you're in year three, and you want to be him, and you're like, oh, man, this is my dream job. I'm just in awe of what he's doing right now. But then he looks at me, and he says, these look like your fingerprints. <laughs> and I believed him. 
And for the next two weeks, I did whatever I could to not go to school. <clears throat> I faked being sick. I made up excuses. I said the teacher was um, bullying me. I said all this stuff just to avoid going to school because I thought if I went there, the police were going to arrest me because they think I'm the guy urinating on the carpets at school. But it's a memory that, is, that I have, and I can't, you know, it was, it was torment. It was torment those two weeks. It was that, and then something I saw on East Street, that guy with the half black, half silver face, that tormented me. Those two things, like, really tormented me in, in my childhood. But I remember that feeling, like, just being so terrified and wanting to avoid and wanting to hide and wanting to cower and wanting to disappear from the world because of that fear. You know, other fears that I've had. Fear is public speaking. I remember rocking up to a debating competition in year 10 and, and like running, like leaving, leaving before I was due to talk. And um, one of the great speakers was outside and I was walking off and she's like, where are you going? And I'm like, oh no, I'm just going to the bathroom. And I, just, I got out of there, I went home. Um, being, feeling afraid of not being good enough in the eyes of man and God, fearing failure, fear of illness, fear of girls. I was afraid of girls, like in my late teens. Fear of social situations. Sometimes you walk into a room and you're, you're feeling anxious and awkward and you're like, oh man, am I gonna be okay here? What, what about you? What's the alarm in your heart? What's causing the alarm in your heart? What's that fear? It might be circumstantial. It might be based on a circumstance. You might be afraid for someone in your family. You might be afraid because something's happening at work. You might be afraid because you've got year 12 exams coming up. Or it might not be circumstantial. It might just be general. It might be just that general anxiety that you walk around with all day long and you can't even put your finger on it. You don't even know what the cause of the fear is, but you just know that you're anxious. I don't know what you're, what you're carrying this morning, but I do know that God can set us free from that. I do know that he wants to set us free from that this morning. It is so imperative that we get set free from that. We are called to silence that alarm. Jesus says, you will, Matthew 24, 6, he says, you will hear wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. See to it that you are not alarmed. The Gospels have 125 commands from Jesus, 125. Most of them relate to fear not. Fear not, do not be alarmed. Of the 125, 21 urge us to not be afraid, not be alarmed, have courage, and take heart. The second most common command relates to loving God and loving your neighbor, and that only appears eight times in Jesus' commands. So this is a big thing. Jesus wanted to drive this message home. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Yeah, well, and I was going to read out all the, all the things, but I won't because I think I'm, I'm going to run out of time if I do. But if you read all those commands, and you might be sitting here going, yeah, well, Lord, that's just easier said than done. Easier said than done. If I could get rid of this fear, I would. If I could be courageous in this circumstance, I would. But it's not that easy, Lord. But I'm so happy that there are answers in his word that we'll explore this morning. That we'll, and, and you'll leave here this morning saying, actually, I can. I can fight this thing. 
I can overcome this thing because of the blood of Jesus and because of Jesus. I was preparing this message and I was talk, you know, thinking through that smoke alarm example and I was going to say that sometimes well, God designed fear and fear can sometimes be good um, because it's a self-preservation mechanism that God's designed in us. And, you know, for example, it'll stop a child um, crossing a busy road. Um, or, you know, fear is an appropriate response to a burning building. Like, get out of there. Get afraid and get out of there. But I got a roadblock in this message, and I sat there for like two days, and I felt like God wasn't on it. I felt like I wasn't hearing from God anymore, and I felt really like, ugh, it was just a roadblock. I'd hit a roadblock. And I'm like, God, what is it? What's going on? He said, do not tell my people that I designed fear, and do not tell my people that it is okay to fear in, in any circumstance. And he was so strong on that. And as soon as I deleted that part of the message and said, we cannot tolerate fear, it opened up. And I felt God, God was speaking to me again. And I felt his heart on this message again. 2 Timothy 1.7, it says, God has not given us a spirit of fear but a power, love, and a sound mind. He has not given us a spirit of fear. God says it's a spirit, and it is not from me. It's a spirit, and it's not from me. And if it's not from him, we cannot tolerate it. We cannot tolerate it. We cannot say it's okay sometimes. We cannot tolerate it. And that really kind of, um, yeah, it convicted me when God told me that because, you know, I've had those conversations with people where I'm like, yeah, it's normal to feel afraid. Oh, anyone in this situation would be afraid. Yeah, it's okay. You know, it's okay to feel a bit of fear. It really convicted me. Because God's like, no. No fear. No fear. No fear. Everyone say no fear. No fear. It's a spirit. It's not from me. If it's not from him, we must not tolerate it. We must fight it. Look at Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. That's what we're up against. That's what we're fighting against. Paul's saying we're fighting spiritual forces of evil. God says fear is a spirit, but it's not from me. If it's not from God, it's an evil spirit. The appropriate reaction to it is, as it says in this scripture, to fight it. To fight it. And we have to fight it. Because too many people have given up the fight and are cowering in a corner somewhere, afraid. Afraid of the call of God on their life. Afraid to be the light in a dark place. Afraid to fight for that relationship. Afraid to, put, to raise their voice in defense of someone. Too many people have given up the fight. Too many kids growing up with increased anxiety. I remember reading an article recently that said kids these days are more anxious than psychiatric patients in the 1950s. And this was written by a doctor. It's weird. It's like it's upside down. You know, kids, you're supposed to get less afraid when you grow up. And now uh, I'm looking at people and they're more afraid once they're older than they were as kids. It's weird. And... 
It's, it's a spiritual force and we have to fight it because it is ramping up. It is ramping up. Frank Ferretti, this guy, he, he went through um, British newspapers and counted the number of times at risk was used in newspapers. In, in 1994, it was used 2,000 times. In not, by the end of 95, one year later, it had doubled to 4,000. It increased by half in 1996, and during the year 2000, it was used 18,000 times. Did danger increase ninefold in six years? Or is the world trying to get us to fear? Is that spiritual force trying to get that alarm to sound in your heart? The, I was looking at the headlines. I just, I just thought, oh, yeah, this is interesting. I want to check the headlines this week. So I, t- I turned to Sydney Morning Herald, and uh, this is it. This, this was this week. Um, yeah, let's stay on this one for a sec. You know, there's a damning problem in public schools. You should be afraid of that. Adam's personal issue, I don't know if we should be too afraid of that. But model child's horrific death. China doubles down. China's buying all our properties. Jake Nine's been killed for a birthday cake. Uh, Woman's been found dead in Balmain. And fewer people want to live in Australia, presumably because there's problems and there's things to fear. Um, Let's go back to the other one. I clicked to this site at the same time. Murdered teen, man hands himself over, horror, stairwell, rape. The world wants to tell you that you're living in a horror movie. That's what the world wants to tell us. And Tracy Grimshaw knows how to do it well. Tracy Grimshaw does it well. The frightening truth about sitting in traffic. (laughs) How chocolate affects your IQ. What you can do to avoid the danger. The frightening... um, What you may not know about the water you drink. (laughs) I've I've received no emails telling me how good water is for me and that I should drink it, but I've received about a thousand telling me how drinking bottled water will give me cancer. It's weird. Jesus said there'll be wars, but then there'll be rumors of wars. And he's saying we shouldn't be alarmed. He's saying... uh, don't be alarmed at the wars, but you've got you to understand there's going to be rumors rising up in the last days, rumors of wars, rumors of horror, rumors of horrible stuff happening, and you are not to be alarmed at that. That's his command. So are we ready to fight? Are we ready to fight this thing? Say, I'm ready to fight. Awesome. Psalm 23 talks about fear in the valley of the shadow of death. And um, I was looking at um, Mark chapter 4, and I found a scripture that kind of um, lives that Psalm 23 out. And um, it's Mark chapter 4, verse 35, 41. We all know it. And um, it goes like this. On the same day when evening had come, he said to them, Let us cross over to the other side. This is Jesus talking to his disciples. We're crossing over to the other side. Um, Now, when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was, and other little boats were also with him. 
And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. And I think this storm that the disciples go through with Jesus is the equivalent of the shadow, uh, the valley of the shadow of death in Psalm 23. Do you, do you see the, the connection? Um, so the storm is equal to that valley. And I want to talk about um, storms and dark valleys for just a moment and why fear is not the best reaction to them. Because maybe you're in one right now. Uh, maybe you're suffering with that general anxiety thing where, no, no you're, not in a, you're not walking through the valley of the shadow of death, you're, you're just anxious. But some of you might be walking through the valley of the shadow of death because you're going through something like significant. Um, the first thing I want to say about this is um, Jesus led them in there. Jesus said, hey guys, we're crossing over to the other side. And presumably because he's God, he knew that there was a, a storm approaching. But Jesus says, we're going through this. We're going through this. And sometimes, um, but, and look at Psalm 23 for a second. Verse three to four. So we're gonna go one step back before verse four. And it says, he guides me along the right paths, bringing honor to his name, even when I walk through the darkest valley. So he's leading you on the right path. This psalm is great. It's, it's saying we're on the right path. On the right path, everything's sweet, you know, meadows, peaceful streams. I'm on the right path with God. He's with me. So how does the right path turn into the dark valley? If he's leading you that way, and if you're on the right path, surely the right path should not go through the dark valley. But God is saying it does. God is saying it does. He, he said there will be tribulation, there will be trouble. You will have to walk through dark valleys. You will have to sail through storms in my name. Sometimes the right path leads through the darkest valley. And Jesus said, you've got to be ready for that. And the response to that is not be afraid. Do not be afraid. And why? Why does the right path have to go through the valley? Why does the, um, yeah, why does the right path have to go through the darkest valley? Why can't it just be rainbows and, you know, peaceful pelicans? And why couldn't the disciples just sail across to the other side and have dolphins diving in and out in front of the bow of the shed? Like, it would have been beautiful. Why? Why, God? This is what I picture Jesus talking or saying to the lamb um, when they get to the dark valley. Hey, that's a dark place right there. I'm the light of the world. You are a child of the light and a child of the day. The light will shine through the darkness. The darkness will not overcome it. And that will bring honor to my name. That is why the right path leads through the darkest valley. Because you are the light. You're a, ch you're a child of the light. He is the light. And that darkness, whatever is in that valley, cannot overcome you. It cannot overcome the light. And who knows? Those dark valleys need you. Jesus occupies your heart the 
Holy Spirit occupies you and needs you to go through a dark valley to bring light. To bring light to the dark valley. And you might be sitting here thinking, yeah, but why? Isaiah 43 verse 7 says, Everyone who is called by my name, even for my honor, I have created him. You are called to go through those dark valleys, to bring light to those dark places for his honor. For his honor. That's what you were created for. That's what I was created for. To bring honor to his name. And the problem with fear is it stops us. We either get stuck in the valley or we see the valley and we stop in our tracks and instead of taking the right path through the valley with Jesus, we make our own path or we avoid it altogether or we get in the valley and we stop flickering and and we, we hide ourselves under a basket rather than putting ourselves on a lampstand. Jesus says we're crossing to the other side to bring honor to my name because there was someone they needed to meet on the other side. (laughs) Next minute, he's asleep. He's asleep on the boat. I I love this because if you read the Bible, it's hilarious. In the scripture before, I don't know whether it's in this version, but there's another version in Matthew. In the scripture before, um, Jesus says... um, you know, the Son of Man has nowhere to rest his head. Nowhere to rest his head. And then in the next chapter, Jesus is on a boat and all of a sudden he's found somewhere to rest his head. He's found a pillow to rest his head on. Uh, that just cracked me up this week. But I, and I've always wondered, why is Jesus sleeping through this storm? Like, is he, is he actually sleeping or is he just faking it? What, like, what's going on? And... I, you know, studying it this week, I realized that God, Jesus slept through this storm because he just wanted to test their faith. He just wanted to test their faith. And at the end, he rises up and he says, why are you afraid? Do you not have faith? So it's clear he wants to test their faith. He wants to test their faith. He wants to know when this storm arises, are you going to go to faith or are you going to go to fear? And that's the test. And we're, we're all tested in that way. When we're, when we're faced with the darkest valley, what do we do? Do we go to faith or we, do we go to fear? Get this, Jesus is the Word made flesh, right? He's the Word of God. He is this in bodily form. That's what the, the you know, when he came into the world, he said, they said he's the Word made flesh. He's the Word of God in, in bodily form. And he's right there in their midst. He's on the boat. This is on the boat. And the word says, the word says this. In Isaiah 43, verse 2. It says, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. In Psalm 93, verse 4, it says, mightier than the thunders of many waters, mightier than the waves of the sea. The Lord on high is mighty. So those two scriptures, the word of God, are with them on the boat in the flesh. And Jesus is thinking, 
I wonder whether they're going to go to that and get some faith or whether they're going to go to fear and ignore the word. Ignore the word. They have, on one hand, the promise, those scriptures, you will not be overcome, and the Lord is mightier than this storm. That's the promise of God's word. And on the other hand, they have the storm. The promise says, you're going to be okay. You're going to get through this. And Jesus is the word of God, and he said, we're crossing to the other side. So he said it. That's the promise. We're crossing to the other side. And the boat will not be overcome. And I am mightier than a thousand storms. That's the word. That's the promise. The storm is saying, he doesn't care about you. God doesn't care about you. You are going to die. So Jesus wants to know which one are they going to listen to. They can listen to the promise or they can listen to the storm. They can listen to the promise we're crossing to the other side, or you can listen to the storm, you are going to die. And he's testing them. They go to Jesus, they wake him up. Do you not care that we are perishing? Do you not care that we are perishing? The word is asleep on a pillow. And they wake him up. They say, do you not care? What they're really saying is, we are listening to the storm. We have heard what the storm has said. The storm has said, we are, we are perishing and we are going to die. The storm has also said that you don't care. And that's why Jesus, it says he arose. And he says, why? Why are you afraid? Why are you afraid? Why? Why have you no faith? See, he makes the connection with fear. If you're afraid, then you've got no faith. And that's what he's saying. You, you listen to the storm. You didn't listen to me, which said, we're crossing through. We're crossing through to the other side. We're going through this dark valley. We're going through it. We're not going to stay there. We're crossing through. We're going, the, the path leads through here. We've got to do it to get to our destination. What do you want to stay here? Do you want to stay stranded here? No, we've got a path to follow. We know that faith comes by hearing, and hearing what? The Word of God. The faith comes by hearing and hearing the Word of God. Fear comes by hearing and hearing the contradiction of God's Word. It comes by hearing the contradiction. Faith, the Word of God, is the seed for faith. Contradiction of God's Word is the seed for fear. It says God doesn't care about you. God, God, wants, you, God wants you to die. And so often, the, the, the number one fear that Satan wants to tell you and wants you to believe is that what God has promised in His Word will not come to pass. That's the number one fear God wants to tell you. And faith and fear cannot coexist. You can't be afraid of something and say, I've got faith that it's going to be okay. You have one or the other. They are not, they cannot share the same bed. They cannot. They're, they're 
different, they're, they're complete opposites. They're paradoxes. You, they, you cannot say, I have faith and I'm afraid. You cannot say, I'm afraid and I have faith. If you find yourself in the valley of the shadow of death, maybe it's about your finances. Do you leave this asleep on the pillow, maybe at home, maybe, I don't know, maybe on your bookshelf, sleeping on the pillow? It says, my God shall supply, maybe it's a financial valley that you're going through. And this says, my God shall supply all my needs according to his riches and glory. And then you've got your bank statement over here in your filing cabinet, and that's saying, you are in serious trouble, you are, you are broke, and you're going to stay broke. Are you going to wake the Word of God up to calm the storm, or are you going to let your bank statement tell you what's going to happen and drive fear into your heart? Because this will impart faith into your heart. The bank statement is going to impart fear into your heart. I love how the Bible used the word arose. Jesus arose. Jesus, the word of God arose. We need the word of God to arise in our lives. We, when, when that storm, when you can see that storm, we need the word of God to rise up because that will build our faith level. That will build our faith level and the fear will diminish. But if that just sits sleeping on the pillow and does not rise, we're gonna go to that thing, and we're gonna go to fear, and we're gonna be constantly afraid. Maybe it's your health. By his stripes I am healed. Are we gonna go to that promise and let that rise up in our spirit? Or are we gonna go to the doctor's report and say, sorry, there's nothing we can do. You're gonna be like this for the rest of your life. No, we gotta to go to the word. We gotta let the word rise as Jesus arose on that boat and declare that by his stripes I am healed. By his stripes I am healed. Two promises that the devil will try and contradict to keep you in a place of fear. Remember, the devil just wants to keep you in fear because if he can keep you in fear, he can stop you Fulfilling the call of God on your life. That's the devil's main aim. He just doesn't want you to be that light. Two promises that the devil wants to, um, to contradict in your world. The first one is that God doesn't love you. God doesn't love you. That's why... On the boat, the disciples got up and they said, hey, do you not love us? Do you not care about us? Do you not care about us? The number one contradiction the, the devil wants to plant in your heart is that God doesn't love you and that God doesn't care about you. Because look at 1 John chapter 4, verse 18. There is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do 
with punishment. Perfect love drives out fear. If we believe that God loves us, then we have nothing to be afraid of. But where there is fear, it means God's love has not been perfected in us. Perfect love casts out fear. If there's fear, it means the love isn't perfect. The love is not perfect if there's fear. And that's the the number one thing the devil wants to tell you. The Word of God says, I love you. I died for you. I redeemed you. I forgave you. I made you my heir. Everything I have is yours. I will supply all your needs. I care for you. You are worth many more than sparrows. They're all the promises that are right here in his word. And the storm wants to tell you, uh-uh, he doesn't love you. He doesn't care about you. He's not gonna supply all your needs. He does not care about you. And if we believe that, then we haven't, we haven't accepted the perfect love of God. It's easy to say, I love God. It's easy, and we do. We love him, and I love that so many people in this house are on fire for God, and we love him, but we have to be careful because being loved by God is a completely different thing. And I wanna ask you in your heart tonight, are you loved by him? Are you loved by him? Do you know in in the depths of your soul that you are loved by God? Because if you do, if you are, then you will not fear. So that's what I want us to focus on. If, we, if we're afraid, then we don't believe that he loves us in essence. That's it. I met a guy in the care center this week. Rose was preaching. She did an amazing job. And I met this guy, George. And you know when you meet someone who knows they're loved by God, they are fearless and you can see it. They are fearless. This guy was not a Christian, was a really worldly guy, um, messed up in drugs and his dad owned the pub and he, he ran the band in the pub and um, he went on a bender, a two-month bender or something, ended up in hospital like, and he died. He died on his hospital bed and he says, he said, I, I remember leaving my body and the very depths of my soul screamed out and it said, I will sell it to the highest bidder. I will sell it to the highest bidder. And he said, this vision appeared and his life was poured out from a bag into scales and the scales went down all the way. But then Jesus appeared and his blood shed, entered the other side of the scales and it balanced out perfectly. And he said, Jesus came to my bedside and he took me by the hand and he looked me in the eyes. And he said, I could see into his eyes forever. I could see into his eyes forever. And I could tell this guy could not express what he'd experienced. And there was so much love that Jesus poured out into him in that moment that he could, there were no words for it. And I love that guy's zeal because you can tell he knows he's loved by God. And he is not afraid. Sure, he's got other things going in his world, but he is not afraid. He is so bold. He is zealous. And that's what I picked up from him. 
So if you're, if, if, if you're afraid, you really got to ask yourself, am I, do I really believe God loves me? And if, if you don't, then you really got to meditate on his word. You got to sit at his feet. You got to read it and you got to let it sink. Don't, don't, <coughs> it's so easy to, to flick through the page and say, I've heard this a million times. Um, I know it. I know it. You, you know it off by heart. But do you know it in your knower? Do you know it in your heart, not in your mind? So that's the first lie. He, the, the first lie is that you're not loved by God. The second one. Actually, w- while I'm on that point, look at Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 26 to 27. <coughs> they say, but you were unwilling to go up. Look at verse 27. You grumbled in your tents and said, the Lord hates us. So he brought us out of Egypt to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us. When you believe, when you don't believe God loves you, or if you believe God hates you, then I think you'll find yourself um, just, yeah, completely overtaken by fear because you feel like the whole world is set up just to get you. And no matter what storm you go through, it's, it's gonna take you out. Um, yeah, the second contradiction that the devil wants to tell us is that we are not righteous. And I, I shared that scripture earlier on that I'm young, now I'm old, not once have I seen the righteous forsaken or their children being bred. I was like, why? Why, why give me that scripture? But it made sense um, once I sat with this longer. Look at Isaiah chapter 54, 54 verse 14 to 17. It says, in righteousness you shall be established. In righteousness you shall be established. Righteousness, righteousness. God has made you righteous. God has made you righteous. You are righteous in Christ. You are righteous in Christ. You are forgiven. You are forgiven. It's not Old Testament. It's not based on what you did, what you've done, the things you've done this week. It's not based on that. It's based on what Jesus has done. And you're sitting here thinking, no, but you have no idea what I've done. You have no no idea what I did this week. I don't care what you've done this week. It's not about you. It's not about you. It's not about what you've done. It's about Jesus and what he's done. It's about what Jesus has done. It's about his work on the cross, that he went and died a sinner's death so you could be forgiven. And it is done. It is done. You are righteous. You are the righteousness of Christ. You just have to believe, have faith in him, and that righteousness is imputed to you. You are righteous in Christ. What does it say? In righteousness you shall be established. You shall be far from oppression, for you shall not fear. You shall be far from oppression, for you shall not fear. Fear is related to oppression. If there's fear, you are oppressed. And oppression uh, oppression robs you of the ability to take control of your life. And from terror, for it shall not come near you. Indeed, they shall surely assemble but not because of me. Who's gonna assemble? Fear is gonna assemble. Terror are gonna assemble, it says. Indeed, they shall surely assemble against you. I love what he says. He's confirmed what we, what we were saying earlier, but not from me. Fear's gonna come. Terror's gonna come, but they're not from me. I love what he says. He says that fear, that terror that assembles, whoever assembles against you shall fall for your sake. 
They shall fall for your sake. Why? Fear and terror are just going to fall because you are established in righteousness. You are established in righteousness. You are established in righteousness. You are righteous. And because of that righteousness, because of what Jesus has given us, fear and terror will assemble against you, but they will fall. If the band could come, they will fall. They will fall for your sake. If we go down to the bottom of 17, he says, and every tongue which rises against you in judgment, you shall condemn. You shall condemn. He doesn't say when these forces rise up against you, I'm gonna rock up and I'm gonna, I'm gonna still the storm. No, he says, you will condemn them. You will condemn it. You will condemn it. And how will you condemn it? How will you condemn fear and terror in your world? It's based on your establishment in righteousness. You can look at that fear and that terror and say, hey, <laughs> hey, you've got nothing on me. You've got nothing on me. You've got nothing on me. I am righteous in Christ. I'm established in righteousness. You can assemble against me all you want, but I will not fear. I will not cower. I will not be afraid. I will not be terrorized because I am established in righteousness. I am established in the work of the cross. I am established in righteousness. I am forgiven. I am loved. I am a child of God. And you have no choice, fear and terror, but to fall for my sake because I condemn you because I am a righteous man. Not because of what I've done, but because of what Jesus has done. He wants to tell you, you're not loved. He wants to tell you, you're not righteous. This baby has to rise up. Just like it did on that boat. And it has to speak to that storm. And it has to speak to that dark valley. And it has to say, I'm righteous. I'm loved, I will not be afraid of anything. And it's true. It is true. If we believe we are loved and we are righteous, we have absolutely nothing to fear. And I want us all to meditate on that. Are we really loved? And in a few moments, I'm gonna open up the altar. And if you, if that's something that's speaking to your heart, say, oh man, yeah. Actually, that struck a chord with me. I'm not sure. I'm, I'm not sure I'm truly loved by God. And it hasn't sunk into the depths of my soul. I want to open up this altar. I want to ask you to come forward. And I'll pray for you. And the team will pray for you. That you would know in your knower the love of God. That it would sink to the very depths of your soul. And I'm believing that as you come out on this altar this morning. And you get that revelation in your spirit. That fear. And that terror and that anxiety is going to melt away because it cannot, it must fall. It must fall for your sake, God says. It must fall. It cannot stand. But before I open up the altar, I just want us to all close our eyes and bow our heads. And talking about the love of God and how it sets us free. Maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're thinking, I don't, I don't know this God you're talking about. I've never been in a relationship with Him. I'd like to know, I'd like to experience the love of God. Well, you can do that here this morning. 
I'm going to ask you a simple question. If, if you've never asked Jesus into your heart, if you've never asked him to be the captain of your ship, I want you to raise your hand when I ask you to. Or maybe once you knew him, but you've fallen away, you've, you've gone on your own path rather than staying on the right path. And maybe the dark valleys led you somewhere else and you feel like this morning you need to get reconnected to the source. When I ask you to, I want you to raise your hand. Or maybe you're sitting here saying, you know, I'm not, you're sitting here and you're thinking, if I were to die tonight, if my life was to end, I'm not 100% sure that I'd be going to heaven. If you're not 100% sure, you need to get that assurance here this morning. There is no greater decision you can make because you will live a life full of peace and free of fear if you believe that you are saved and loved by God. So if you fall into any of those three categories, with every head bowed and every eye closed, would you just give me a wave right now? Because I'd love to just pray with you a prayer that invites Jesus into your heart. Who, who is there this morning? Who is there this morning that says I need to ask Jesus into my heart? Who is there this morning that needs to receive Jesus? I know there are, there are at least a couple here. Just give me a wave. Just want to pray with you this morning. There's no greater decision you can make. It'll change your life. Is there anyone here? Quick wave. Quick wave. Awesome. Well, why don't we all stand to our feet? I just want to pray over us as the band begins to play. And we'll open up this altar. And like I said, if you need to, if fear's something you're struggling with, I want you to come forward and get prayer from me and the team. Because I'm just believing, I'm believing that those truths, those truths can sink in our hearts this morning. And each one of us can leave this place set free from fear, set free from condemnation. So God, I thank you for each life here this morning. I thank you that you truly love us, God. Thank you, God, that we are righteous in your eyes. Thank you, God, that no matter what this world may bring and no matter what this world may say, no matter what the storm may declare, God, we thank you that your truth rises in our lives. Your faith overtakes, Lord. And thank you, God, that we know we are loved by you. No matter what they say, God, we will not be afraid. We will not cower. We will not cower, God. You are our God. You love us. You are for us. You are with us. Everyone said, Amen. Come on, let's give God a hand. Awesome. Come on, let's sing this song. And please come forward for prayer.